This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Black Lives Matter protesters here in Toronto say they're not seeing enough action to eliminate police violence against black people. And that frustration was evident in the city this past Saturday when they claimed credit for defacing the statues of Canada's first prime minister, John A. Macdonald, along with King Edward VII and Egerton Ryerson. The group said in a statement, along with a coalition of artists, the group artistically disrupted statues of slaveholders and monuments to colonialism at Ryerson University and Queen's Park. Then there were the issues around the arrests. Three people were arrested and then held for what protesters say was an unacceptable amount of time. We will start there since these detentions caused further angst and demonstrations among the rest of the protesters. Joining me today are Dr. Akwasi Owusu-Bempa, Assistant Professor of Sociology, University of Toronto, Mississippi. Saga, and Dr. Wesley Critchlow, professor in the Faculty of Social Science and Humanities at Ontario Tech University. Welcome to you both. Thank you. And since our discussions today are around Black issues, it's important to point out that you are both Black. Dr. Owusu-Bempa, there are differing opinions around the arrests of the three individuals on the weekend. Let's talk first about your impression of the handling of this. Yeah, I think, you know, obviously there um, is some contestation as to what exactly happened. And I think only the people that were there and that uh, were involved in the process, both from the policing and from the protest side, really know uh, what took place. But I I have no doubt that we will continue to um, see scrutiny with respect to the uh, handling of this by the Toronto Police, but also some questions about, um, you know, was there access to legal counsel provided and was that done in accordance uh, with the law? And uh, subsequently, you know, was one of the individuals who was held provided access to their medical uh, or to their medication as requested. So a, a lot still to unfold there uh, from my perspective. And Dr. Critchlow, your thoughts? Um, uh, thank you for the invitation. I also want to echo what uh, was just said by my previous colleague, which is we were not there, but uh, only responding to media, media accounts. But to, to frame it in the context of trying to understand that this is a reflection of an of his, of a generational period of rage and rage that folks are expressed into what what they consider to be colonial policing, a colonial society, and in essence, they're saying that um, every generation is going to fight for freedom differently, and there's no fixed definition of freedom and or how every generation is going to define that. It's going to be done differently, and I think what Black Lives Matter uh, is saying to us is that and reminding us once more is that. When black people lives matter, everybody else's life will matter because how you treat black people will be dependent on how you treat other people. So I think it's in that context I would like to frame my conversation by saying that Black Lives Matter is, is, is uh, drawing our attention to one of humanity and humanness of black bodies. Dr. Wusubempa, a lot of um, the complaints from the Black Lives Matter protesters and and those who feel solidarity with them is that there was an overreaction to this protest. Uh, And yet 
I guess there's some discrepancy in thought around whether it was a peaceful protest when you're throwing paint all over public monuments. What are your thoughts on on, on both of those aspects? Yeah, again, um, difficult to, to, to pin down. From, from my perspective, you know, there were some comparisons made to paint being thrown on statues during um, Frost Week celebrations uh, around different campuses and university campuses and, and places in the city. And I think, you know, from my perspective, there are some distinctions between uh, actions taken like that in the context of uh, protest demonstration where police are present and tensions are high in the actions of students during Frost Week. And that's not to excuse what the students are doing and say that they're not also defacing proper property. But I think um, one might expect to be arrested when engaging in that type of behavior with the police present. Now, with that said, you know, we often see um, similar instances. We, we, you know, we see, you know, open drug use, for example, during demonstrations around cannabis legalization, prior legalization, where there was clear flouting of the law and arrests were not made. Um, and, and in other instances, you know, individuals engage in action specifically to be arrested so that they can draw further attention to an issue. And this is, you know, that's a, a, a tried and tested way of, of drawing attention to a particular issue and trying to mobilize on that issue. And doc, But Dr. Critchlow, it's a different kind of feeling with the, the defacing of the statues than in the days after George Floyd's murder, when there were rallies and marches here in Toronto, like there were in other cities. It seemed like... Um, the angst has ramped up or ramped up this past weekend. What is that a result of? I, I think it's, it's a result of uh, constructed hopelessness and generations of hopelessness that people are feeling. And they're enraged in a way that um, I think they're trying to express to the state that um, we need to see a more humane and just society, one in which I think uh, our humanity and freedom is, 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 is not questioned. Um, I think there are ways in which also, too, that most most folks get, there's a negative stereotype associated with blackness. And so the mere fact that a black life demonstration is happening, I think there may be an overpresence and a heavy overpresence of police force, obvious in terms of clothing of of uniform and undercover, because of the dangerous stereotype of black lives are seen to, to, to possess. So I think... In, in essence, there's also an issue here of over-policing the black community for minor, uh, for, for, for ways in which stereotypes brings that force stronger and under-policing to some degree when there's other issues in the black community. So I think, and a good example of that might be the West Hall example where he talks about what it means to be uh, a black man going to work and, and, and being stopped by the police. I think there's a, there's, people are just frustrated and they're fed up of this issue of what it means to be a black person in this city and to be over police. Well, yeah, sorry, go ahead. uh, Yeah, if I can just follow up there, too, I think, you know, uh, this uh, round of of demonstrations in in Toronto and largely in Canada following uh, the death of George Floyd and, of course, deaths of uh, Black and Indigenous people since here uh, in Canada, um, at least in the presence of the police, were uh, largely peaceful and were certainly more peaceful than those that uh, took place in some places in the United States. Right. I think and again, I can't speak for Black Lives Matter because I'm not uh, directly connected with the organization. But uh, from my perspective, there may also have been a a sense of frustration following um, the uh, Toronto City Council meeting where the motion to like actually defund the police 
was passed over in favor of another motion that examines, you know, various ways to address public safety and, and address police reform. So it's my perspective. And, you know, we see various um, tactics being used uh, in uh, protests and in demonstrations, some peaceful, some less peaceful. And those different tactics serve different purposes at different points in time. And, um, you know, from my perception, uh, if there was an escalation in tactics, that it could be in response to, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a, a perceived lack of action with respect to some of the calls that are being made. Right. Yeah. So so they're sort of they're stepping up their action. That's what they were doing this past weekend, in effect, because I. I think there definitely is a connection between the resolution that was passed at City Council at the end of June, which was for those virtual public meetings held by the Toronto Police Services Board. I got a sense of listening into those meetings that Dr. Critchlow, there was a lot of skepticism around the intentions of these meetings and how much positive change they would actually bring about. Yeah. Yeah, I think if we look, go back, since 1978, with Buddy Andrew Buddy, Buddy Evans being shot today, today that's like over 42 years of black the black community fighting for and demanding change. Let's bring that now up to today. There is also now what is known as the International Decade for People of African Descent, which provides a framework for, uh, that urges all governments and states to eradicate the social injustices and systemic, slavery, uh, systemic racism that Black folks experience. And I think we are, we are not seeing the kind of um, action uh, to address these issues which came out of commission after commission, study after study, report after report. The Black community has been overstudied by everyone. And so we have a, numerous reports sitting on government shelves with really good uh, recommendations that just need to be tabled in any government and acted upon in education, housing, unemployment, every sphere of life. So there's this urgency now to, to, to reimagine justice differently and to reimagine the whole notion of how we move forward in a way that tries to bring out these uh, frustrations and I, I'm not sure uh, that we can be, be hit, called upon to always explain the, the revolution, uh, but to certainly talk about the fact that I think there is this, there's this enraged sense of hopelessness that folks are experiencing, and that is legitimate, and we need to find ways to address that. So that kind of hopelessness, constructive hopelessness doesn't continue. Uh, professors, we do have some callers that want to get in on the conversation. And again, the, the numbers to call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Barry in Oshawa, you're on the air here on Fight Back. What would you like to add? Well, good afternoon, Jane and guests. Um, I want to say two things about the defacing of the statue. I looked at it, and um, the pink paint actually did a good job. It's very beautiful now. I'm not saying that sarcastic. I said, wow, it looks nice. They did a great job of covering it. Um, But more importantly, and on a positive um, note, I think that if they want it out of the picture, then they should uh, legally take it down by by the city and put it in a museum and replace it with a black leader that has done something for society. And we could start with William Peyton Hubbard, who led efforts to create the publicly owned Toronto hydroelectric system. And I believe in 1894, he was um, 
uh, uh, in Ward 4, he ran for public office, and he, and he uh, was successful. Barry, There's thanks. a lot of black people that, that we could replace all these statues in the United States and in Canada, and that would make, I think, everybody happy. Thank you for your call, Barry, and your suggestion. Dr. Awusu-Bempa, these statues, I mean, clearly these men are linked to a time when they thought uh, in, a, in an extremely backward way about race and white supremacy. I, I, you often hear about, let's, let's not dismantle them or throw them into the water. Let's put them in a museum and provide some context around them so we can learn about what was. We can learn about the history, the good and the bad. So Barry's suggestion is not bad. It's just, it would be a huge undertaking nationwide and across the U.S. as well. But is, is that where we should be directing at least some of our energy? I think these are certainly things that we want to consider, right? I, I don't think uh, necessarily we want to erase our history because, you know, if we forget our history, we risk making the same, uh, repeating the same mistakes of our history. And so we would want to, to keep and acknowledge those. And so perhaps by putting them uh, in a museum um, with proper context around uh, who those individuals were and what they did uh, would be quite useful. Uh, and I think, you know, you've touched upon something, and, and, and Dr. Critchlow's touched upon something that's very important here is that these individuals um, represented a mindset and engaged in actions which, you know, were prominent and prevalent, um, say, a century or more ago in this country, but haven't evaded or haven't left us, right? We've had no clear breaking point with that history. And so when we talk about um, the policing of Black lives today, when we talk about Black and Indigenous deaths in custody uh, and at the hands of the police, you know, these phenomenon today are connected in various ways to that history. And um, Professor Crutchlow pointed out, you know, uh, racial differences in outcomes in education and employment, and we can think about housing. The police are frontline representatives of the state, and they're largely there to deal with what I would see as failures of other social institutions to fully integrate people into our society. And so we will continue to have, um, I'm sure, these protests and demonstrations until we speak to deal with the societal problems, because at the end of the day, you know, the police are still going to have problems that they're going to have to deal with, and, and the, the stereotypes and, and discrimination prevalent in other areas of our society will also permeate the policing sector. And Dr. Critchlow, your thoughts on the tearing down of monuments that represent slavery, colonialism, and uh, anti-Black racism? I think that's one aspect to it, but I think we also need to talk about how can we move forward without blaming Black people? And how can we move forward in ways that remove discrimination, that block opportunities, the lack of jobs, the use of lethal aggression against black people? Um, the, the issue, uh, for example, destreaming was just mentioned, just announced by the government. But we know that destreaming in itself is just a policy and the teachers' attitudes are not going to change in terms of how they see students. Uh, so we, I, we are not addressing the structural and systemic issues that contribute to anti-black racism. And so, yes, put the statutes away in, in a museum. But then again, we still have to pay to go see those museums. So maybe make a museum free if you want to do that. Or maybe use the very colleges and universities where these, where these uh, statutes exist, create a, a museum within those universities themselves. And so that students attending those universities can have an archival view of photo, photographic slavery and study slavery differently. We don't study slavery enough in Canada. And so maybe this is an opportunity to put monuments in universities where they are built. Uh, uh, Queen's University of Riots and UFT, McGill, all these places that have monuments of slave owners. 
and 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 reimagine uh, black studies differently, reimagine uh, slavery studies differently in Canada. This is an opportunity to educate folks, and I think what we are seeing and 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 hearing is. The more educated one becomes, one assumes they will mitigate these these obstacles, but it's not true. And so we get educated, but we're still blocked by all these racism and anti-black racism. So we need to find ways to address all these issues together and not one at a time. Well, and that's certain. Yes, to yes. that too, story, just to add, reimagine black studies differently, reimagine slavery studies differently, and also reimagine Canadian studies and Canadian history differently, right? Because this is also part of our, our narrative and our national story. Exactly. Dr. Owusu-Bempa, I'll start with you. Uh, yesterday, um, a gentleman I know, we both teach at Humber College, uh, he's in the radio business as well, and he posted on Twitter that he was coming back with his groceries to his vehicle yesterday, um, and he lo- saw that one of his tires was a bit low, and he's a black man, and um, that's important to the story. He went back to just look at his tire, and a white woman came by his car and said, what are you doing? Is this your car? And I presumably he's had this type of experience before. And he's very classy, very diplomatically just said, ma'am, it's fine. I'm putting my groceries away. Put on your mask and carry on and don't worry about it. But it stuck with me all day because that's a case in point right there. It is, and I, I read about this story as well, and I can certainly sympathize. I've had um, not the exact same, but similar experiences myself. And I think that goes to, you know, part of the point that uh, Press Crystal and I have been trying to make here is that, you know, what we're discussing here is much larger than the defacing of statues. It's much larger than simply talking about the police. We're talking about deeply rooted societal issues that we have, right? And um, here, of course, there are stereotypes about black people as there are some other groups, and uh, uh, you know, people have preconceived notions about where black people belong, what kinds of cars they should be driving, what neighborhoods they should live in, and what type of activities they should be taking place in. Uh, they should be taken part in, of course. And so these are the types of um, actions uh, and, and, and experiences that the black people have that, you know, we might call that a microaggression. I would say that that's bordering on perhaps a little more than a microaggression. Mm-hmm. But these go to impact upon African Canadians. Uh, daily lives and, and, and again, are, are not uncommon experiences for black people in this country. Dr. Critchlow, is it too late for people like that who, who already think in that way? Or by telling that story, does it make the rest of us who are more open to changing perceptions uh, realize how deeply rooted these impressions are? Race is a story, and we have to keep talking about this story, right? There's always a counter-narrative in ra- when we're talking about racism, because the dominant narrative of misrepresentation of black folks has, has been dominant for so long. We need to have those stories being told. So it's important to understand race is a story in which we talk, talk about counter-stories counter to the dominant narrative. So in that sense, I think the story of unraveling systemic anti-black racism, white supremacy, is a war. It's, it's, it's a struggle that is not going to be... Uh, ended that easily. So yes, education is one part of it. But if we don't, if we stop criminalizing poverty, if we stop criminalizing drug use, if we stop criminalizing homelessness, if we stop, George, George Floyd's crime was a crime of poverty, uh, apparently the misuse of a $20 bill that was fake. So we have to find ways to address these structural issues that systematically uh, work against uh, any kind of hope that black folks are trying to achieve daily, their dignity, their humanity. Since this has happened, since the George Floyd incident, 
Black folks in this country have been called upon for interviews over a million times, of which we are putting out this emotional energy, mental energy, physical energy, and we are asked to do this work for over and over and over and over, unrecognized paid labor. And I think it's, it's that kind of labor that we are talking about that we continue to do in this country that is not recognized as building the nation. We are building the nation. We are contributing to the nation. So how do we unravel these things with education? No, it's education plus child welfare plus policing plus employment plus education. A whole slew must happen together. So what we are, what Black Lives Matter is saying is that we have to find ways to eradicate the status quo and replace it with something that is more humane and one that gets to the core of our humanity and humanness. And Dr. Owusu-Bempa, the last word goes to you on that. Well, I think just to follow on from what Professor Cresso has said, we need to find these ways. And in many cases, we actually have them. You know, when uh, I, I look at the work that I do and, and, and that Dr. Kressler does as well in the criminal justice system, we have numerous reports with countless recommendations that would help promote social change. The same goes for the child welfare system. The same goes for the educational sector. The same goes for the employment sector. And I would um, venture to say with respect to housing, too. So we know a lot of what we need to do. What we really need is governments that are willing to take action and publics that are willing to support that action. And I think that's the, you know, the change that we really need to see. Uh, just a minute left here. Uh, I've just thought, oh. of, I've thought of something uh, that you were saying there, Dr. Critchlow, about uh-huh. uh, not being paid for your comments and your energy and your emotion. Uh, we do not pay our guests. No, no, uh, I was worried no, 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 you. No, no, but it, no, no, no. I think it's important to understand that um, there are many ways in which we attack. And this is, a, and, and it's important to understand when we talk about racism, we have to talk about a racial tax also. And, and this is an important conversation to have in the terms of the amount of volunteer work that black folks do to build this nation, to educate people, to, to undo centuries of racism. I don't think we have really taken that seriously. And the mental health it takes on us and the toll it takes on us, the daily exhaustion it, it takes us, we're talking about these things. And it's not about 740 paying us. No, I'm just no, saying. No, no. And, and that, what yeah. uh, the, the message, what I wanted to ask you is what can people do? Like what uh, in terms of, of giving, giving back and trying to change perceptions? What can people do? Who, who can they, which groups can they donate to? You know, that well, kind of a uh, thing. I don't know of any group that they can give to often because I don't want to be seen as picking one group over the other. But okay. what I do want to say is that as we talk about reimagining blackness, we need to reimagine black women and queer folks in this discussion. Because too often the conversation around blackness is a heteronormative or a heterosexual definition and framing of blackness. And, and one of the things that Black Lives Matter has done is try to bring trans black issues to the forefront and women's issues. So I, I would like to add to the conversation that if we want to talk about reimagining black life, that we talk about an intersectional approach that includes black trans men, black trans women, and queer folks as center and black women as center to that analysis and to not assume that it's a heteronormative black community, but it's a very diverse black community. So that okay. would be my message about education. Thank you so much both for your time. Very interesting and informative. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Dr. Akwasi Bempa at the University of Toronto, Mississauga, and Dr. Wesley Critchlow at Ontario Tech University. Jane, for Libby, we're running late for the news with uh, Gavin Day. I will talk with you again tomorrow. Have a great day. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. 
You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.